So without further ado, I am really excited to um, introduce to you Reverend Dr. Harold Trulier, who is with us. We, Dr. Trulier and I, like, I don't know if you even say met, but we kind of met via Twitter. We just had a little exchange and I thought, oh, here we've got this Howard University seminary professor, you know, like, let's see what he's uh, up to. So I, I went online and looked at some of his work and I thought, oh man, I think that you'd be like a really great fit, Dr. Trulier, to come and, and talk to our congregation. So I'm really excited to have you. I know you've described yourself as sort of an ex-evangelical, kind of a progressive Christian, um, and you do a lot of work with, um, was it prison reentry justice? So since 2003, Dr. Trulier has served as the Associate Professor of Applied Theology at Howard University School of Divinity. He currently teaches prophetic ministry, ethics and politics, ministry and criminal justice, and church and community studies. So I couldn't be more excited or more thrilled um, to have Dr. Trulier talk with us today. And among his host of other accolades and teaching and pastoring positions, he also is a grandfather of seven grandchildren. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Dr. Trulier this morning. Good morning. It is good to be with you all this morning. Thank you for the invitation, Pastor Emily, and to all the pastoral staff and all the members and friends of the Blue Ocean Church. It's a privilege to be able to uh, share with you today. Um, blessed by the service thus far. Um, I was raised high church Anglican, and so we we sang the Sarum prayer every Sunday morning, and uh, it kind of brought me back home. So, thanks for that opportunity. For this opportunity, I want to read uh, from the twenty third Psalm. Very familiar. Beginning with verses four through six, four through six. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, your word, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk about safety. Safety is a big issue for people like me. I have PTSD. Um, comes from doing a lot of work with gang kids in northern New Jersey. In fact, um, you have ever seen the movie Lean on Me with Morgan Freeman playing uh, Joe Park? Uh, that's the school that I worked in for 10 years with court adjudicated youth. Spent 10 years in that space and saw a lot of things that uh, left an impression. I've also battled addiction for quite some time and been on some rough streets, uh, cruising around looking for alcohol and drugs. I've also been in jail, three-time drunk driver. And um, on the last one, I had to do jail time. And in each of those settings, just another layer of fear and a sense of not being safe, still having nightmares because of a fear of not being safe. This morning in our recovery group, we were discussing fear. We talked about the different fears we have of being sober. What does it mean to face life without the crutch that has always gotten you through? Whether it's a drug of choice or whether it's legal alcohol, what does it mean 
to face every day without the crutch of addiction. Many people hold on to their addictions because they're afraid to live sober. They're afraid to face life without the coping skills that have brought them thus far, even though they may be damaging and even though they are ultimately fatal. People do a lot to deal with fear. Some fears are almost funny. I mean, people say, I'm afraid of the water. No, you're not afraid of water. You drink it every day. You're afraid of drowning in the water. Somebody else said, I'm afraid of flying. I'm not afraid of flying. I'm afraid of crashing. The fact of the matter is, however, that fear can be gripping and fear can lead to a number of illogical choices. Fear can live us, lead us into spaces that are even more dangerous than that which we fear. Perhaps 2020 was best known for me as a year of fear. We had the coronavirus, we still have the coronavirus. And Americans are asking, why me? Why us? Where is God? A fear of death. So far, more people have died in the coronavirus than live in the city of Cleveland. More people have been infected with the coronavirus than in many states' populations. And there's this gripping fear by us because we have had a sense of security in our nation and not in the one who should be the Lord of our nation. Mark Warren was interviewed on Anderson Cooper and he was asked, why do so many Americans, Christians especially, ask where is God in the midst of coronavirus? And Mark Warren's response was, the same place God was when we had Ebola, just that most American Christians didn't think about it. When it's not in our backyard, when it's not in my neighborhood, when it's not in my family, and it exists way over there, then I'm not fearing. But it's not because the, the, the reality doesn't exist. It's because I've placed my faith in America, the land of medicine and the land of hospitals and the land of safety. But when coronavirus threatened our safety, we began to ask God, why us? Why now? Others place their faith in their race with a gender identity, some, some small section of who they are that doesn't tell the whole story about who we are as children of God. Could it be that what we saw on January 6th was a fear of losing whiteness? A fear of not being in charge, a fear of not being superior? If I've placed all my faith in what it means to be white, if I've placed all my faith in what it means to be American, if I've placed my faith in, all, in what it means to be in charge, if I've placed my faith in what it means to make America great again, and that gets threatened, then that fear will lead me to illogical acts like taking over capitals, like believing obvious lies about the election process. Because fear is a powerful, powerful tool around which we can organize our lives. The Black Lives Matters movement reflects the fact that many of us as African-Americans are afraid to walk the streets because we don't know if the policeman who is supposed to represent safety can be a threat. 
We don't know if we're going to be pulled over. I, one of the things that when people say that racism is over, I say racism will be over when we don't, when people like me don't have to teach our sons, which I did, teach our sons how to get pulled over by the police. That was part of the driving lesson. And so where there should be safety, where there should be peace, we find fear. And where there is fear, there is irrational behavior. Somebody says, will COVID go away? Will, will, will police go away? Should we abolish prisons? So will whiteness ever, ever dissipate into humanity? David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Even though I walk through whiteness every day, I'll fear no evil. Even though I walk through the false sense of security in America every day, I'll fear no evil. Even though I walk through neighborhoods that I'm told aren't safe, they're just police different. Compare the pictures of the Capitol Hill security on January 6th with the Capitol Hill security on June 1st when Black Lives Matter was there, and you understand that the way people police make certain assumptions about safety. In fact, could it be that the guards on January 6th were less afraid of the protesters because they looked like them? Could it be that they were less afraid of the protesters because they looked like their sons, they looked like their cousins, the girl down the street, the woman who works in their cubicle? Could it be that they, they had no sense of fear because they had a sense of solidarity, taking selfies with protesters? Fear will make you do strange things. And so the psalmist says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The psalmist is wise enough not to identify evil with one particular individual. The psalmist is wise enough to deal with the fact that evil exists in perpetuity alongside the good. And that God is present even in the midst of the evil. God is present walking with us through the valleys of the shadow of death. In fact, not only is God present, but the psalmist says he prepares a table. God prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I want this to go away. But God says, no, I want you to stay right where you are in the presence of your enemy and let me wait on you. Let me prepare a banquet in the presence of your enemies. How many times do we pray for God to remove us from enemies when God wants to bless us in the midst of our enemies? How many times we've asked God to remove us from the turmoil when God wants to bless us in the midst of the turmoil? How many times have we asked God to remove us from the pain when God wants to bless us in the midst of the pain? And not just to bless us, but anoint our heads with oil, the healing salve that brings about our wholeness. Just because we've changed administrations doesn't mean that we've gotten rid of evil. Just because we've changed administrations 
doesn't mean that we're not still struggling against white supremacy. Just because we changed administrations doesn't mean we're not still struggling against mass incarceration. Just because we've changed administrations doesn't mean that we're done with gender oppression and, and the oppression of LGBTQ community. Just because we've changed administrations doesn't mean that the world has become a safe place, that America has become a safe place. Just because we've changed administrations, evil will still persist. Martin King in his book, Where Do We Go From Here, talked about the backlash against the civil rights movement. And King says, it's not backlash. It's an undercurrent that's been present all along, just waiting for an outlet. Racism didn't go away, says King. It's simply that it now has a platform. Trumpism will not go away. White supremacy will not go away. Gender oppression will not go away. Mass incarceration will not go away. Incarceration will not go away. But in the midst of it, we have the promise of a feast at which we're healed. And when we look back at the past, when we reflect back on 2020 and all that we came through with coronavirus. When we look back on what we came through with, with unrest in the streets, with what we came through with problems with the election and the so-called backlash, I challenge you to notice that th th there are two things that are in your rearview mirror. Goodness and mercy. The psalmist says, so follow me all the days of my life. When I go back and trace 2020, I, I, I want to notice that the goodness of God was present. When I look back at 2020, I want to remember that the mercy of God, the, the loving kindness, the chesed of the Hebrew, that, that covenant faithfulness that God did not give up on us. God did not give up on our church. God did not give up on our lives. God did not give up on our families. God did not give up on protesters in the street. God has not even given up on those who stormed the Capitol. I'm sure of that because the man that wrote the 23rd Psalm was a pretty violent guy himself. And yet, it was his pen that God led to write, he leads me beside still waters, restores my soul. He leads me on the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord, the real safe place forever. Amen and amen and amen. Thank you, Dr. Trulier. Thank you. It's a good word. It's a word we needed this morning. It's a word I needed this morning. I know I've been 
dealing with the same sort of bodily angst and PTSD and fear and safety issues, probably, you know, just as a queer woman um, this week and just hearing like, oh yeah, remember God's goodness, God's mercy, God's goodness and God's mercy is here with us in the midst of all of this. I think for our meditation today, I, I'm going to advise, so we often take a minute or two to just invite the spirit to be present with us, speak to us. And this morning, I'm gonna invite you to just get yourself relaxed and comfortable if you're able. I know if you've got kids or pets, that sometimes is a little more challenging in our home setting. And let's spend a minute just inviting the spirit to help remind us of God's goodness and God's mercy and how God has been good and merciful to us in this last year so we can hold on to that as we're going forward. And then I'll close us with prayer, but let's just take a minute of silence before God. Go ahead. God, we're reminded that your faithfulness knows no bounds. Your goodness and your mercy know no bounds. We thank you for all of the ways that you've showed us your goodness and your mercy in this last year in particular, in our isolation, in our not being able to connect in person. You've been faithful to our church. You've been faithful in our families. Your presence has been close to us even in the darkest of times. Your spirit is close and present and preparing a feast for us in the midst of our enemies. God, we thank you for that comforting presence. We ask that you would help our eyes, the eyes of our hearts to be able to see that as we're going through these coming weeks, Lord, that we will spot your presence and your spirit and your 
invitation into healing and wholeness, that you would highlight different tools and spaces, Lord, where we can be instruments of your peace and of your work. I ask, Lord, that you give us courage and not fear. Courage and not fear. Courage as we speak truth and light and love to our friends, to our families, to our communities. That we will declare that there is a God who is faithful and who is good and who is merciful, who teaches us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we ask that your spirit would continue to teach us what that means, both individually as well as as a church. We ask that your light would shine forth. 